0: Well, here in Acts chapter 6, we have come to the portion of the growth in the church where we now are experiencing some growing pains. Maybe Do short people know what growing pains are? Okay, I just want to make sure. Because tall people had to go through that growing up. And when your ankles and knees and you know, just your joints hurt, I think everybody experiences it to some degree. That wasn't making fun of you if you're not as tall as me. But sometimes people come up and say, it must be nice to be that tall. Well, I can guarantee you I've hit my head on more ceiling fans than most of you have and whacked my head on the corner of more cabinet doors. And even here, I have to duck going out the doors, going outside here. And, you know, so there's blessings to growing, but there's also challenges that come with growing. I remember as a teenager playing soccer and basketball, having to wear ankle braces and things, just because my joints were sore because they were growing so quickly. There was a time, my parents can tell you this, where, I mean, almost every week you could measure me and see a difference on the wall as I was going up. And I went from being just an average height in seventh grade, an average seventh grader, to by eighth grade, ninth grade, I was the tallest kid in the whole school. And so I grew up kind of early and then continued to grow slower on through high school and kind of finished out. But Growing pains are no fun, right? Well, you know, growing pains happen in churches too. And in Acts chapter 6, we're reading about the church as it grows and then some pains that it goes through. This morning, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, this is definitely more of a, a teaching kind of message. But I think it's a message that we all need to hear. And there's great truth in here for us to help us. And so. Uh, There's not a big miracle that takes place. God doesn't heal anybody here. He doesn't set anybody free from prison. There's nothing super spectacular. But you know, most of the Christian life is just faithful living day by day. Faithful obedience, following the Lord. Not every day is an exciting day. There are many days it's just, well, we just got through this day and the next day. So I want you to follow along with me as I read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. The Bible says this, "...and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied," there's the growth, "...there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said," it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient To the faith. Just like when you're growing fast physically, you may experience some growing pains, so too, a church that grows will often experience problems. Growth in the church will often bring problems. Sometimes people think, well, the way to get past any problem in the church is growth. We take that right from like a business way of thinking. Hey, any problem can be solved through more sales, right? That's how the salesmen think, right? We have a few salesmen in here. I understand, you know. If we, as long we sell a little bit more, we can overcome all these problems. Sometimes that attitude is taken in a church as well. Well, those people are having a problem. Let's just go reach some new people, and then we don't have to worry about that problem so much. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Notice here it says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring. More people, with more people come more problems. It's just how it is, because you and I all have problems. <laughs> We're people, right? People have lots of problems. And, and we bring our problems with us, even when we come to church, even though sometimes we like to come in and say, Oh, no, I don't have any problems. Everything's great. <laughs> Let's peel that onion back, right? And there will be lots of tears, right? Because that's us. We all have our problems that we bring. All of the people here mentioned, the Grecians and the Hebrews, these are all Jewish people predominantly that they're talking about. The Grecians were the Hellenistic Jews, those who had lived in other places and grown up knowing Greek and, and didn't really follow all the traditions of their Hebrew brothers that lived in Israel. So they were different people with different cultures, different personalities, different backgrounds. The one thing that joined them together was the work of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit coming together in the work of God in the church. But you had two groups of people that are being brought together and, oh, by the way, these two groups of people didn't get along very well outside of the church historically. I mean, those Hebrews who had lived in in Israel, they looked at those Grecian Jews, they were the compromisers. Some of them didn't practice circumcision. They didn't all follow the law. In fact, some of them couldn't even speak Hebrew or Aramaic, and so they would have probably had to read out of the Septuagint instead of hearing the Bible read in the Hebrew tongue. And what was going on here is that every day there was was food and perhaps finances and other things that were being given out to the widows to take care of their needs. But a particular group of the widows, the Grecian widows, were being overlooked. They were being neglected. Now think about this because we've already looked just a few chapters prior to this in the book of Acts when all the people were giving as they could, and they were all ministering one to another. And the Bible says, and they all had their needs met because they had all things common. Remember the story of Barnabas who went and sold a piece of property and he brought the money to the apostles and gave it to them and then they distributed it out to the others who had needs? Remember the sad story of Ananias and Sapphira who wanted the glory that they thought Barnabas got and so they sold a piece of property, but they lied about the sale price they pretended that they brought all the money to the Lord, but really they kept some of it back for themselves. And God judged them very severely for their hypocrisy and their lie to Him. So this was a common thing. People were bringing their money, probably bringing food, bringing other things and giving it to the church. And then the church was divvying it out to people as they had needs. That was a wonderful thing. But now the church has grown to a place where it took so much time and effort to take care of everyone's needs that certain people were being overlooked, neglected. Now, the Bible is not clear here. Were they being overlooked just because they were Grecians? We don't know. There's a good possibility that the Hebrew widows were getting a little better care because they were better connected. They knew people in the church better. They were you know, closer with these apostles because these were people who had been in and around Jerusalem for a while. And these Grecian widows, these were people from outside and other places who had come in and they said, you know, you're kind of playing favorites here. We don't know exactly what all was going on. But whatever it was, the Grecian widows were being neglected and so there arose murmuring. People began to complain and talk. Man, they, they, they're getting fed and we're not. They're getting ministered to them and we're not. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. A growing church will experience problems. Even the growth itself can bring those problems in. We can see a spiritual problem taking place here. They're murmuring. But we know... Part of this is just a simple logistical problem. The church has grown to the point now where it's like, how how do we take care of all these people? The apostles were doing it all. They were preaching and teaching the Word. They were taking care of all the widows and their needs. And now all of a sudden it's got to be too much. They were being neglected. So the response was to murmur one against another. Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.14 to do all things without murmurings and disputings. I am concerned as God continues to bless and to grow our church that we not fall prey to murmuring and fighting between people because some feel like they're neglected or others feel like maybe they're more important than somebody else. In the body of Christ, every member is important. Do you know how I know that? Because Jesus died for every single one of you. And if you were important enough for God to send His Son to die for your sin, then if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are important to the body of Christ to fulfill the work of the Lord. But sometimes in the body as it grows, there are those who may get left out or forgotten, overlooked, and it's an easy place for frustration and complaining to creep in. So what did they do? This is a real problem. But I want you to notice in the beginning of verse 2, it says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. I really like this. This is very important. Because when there was a problem, instead of just trying to ignore it, or say, let's forget about the Grecian widows, what are they doing complaining? Let's go reach some other widows, you know, ones who won't complain. No, that's not what they said. They said, let's gather all of the disciples, let's get everybody together, and let's figure out this problem. Too often churches, even growing churches, try to pretend like they don't have any problems or that nobody ever had a disagreement or nobody's overlooked, they disappear. Well, they just had a bad attitude. No, maybe they need somebody to go and minister to them. I would really encourage you, if you notice somebody's missing or somebody had been here, call them, encourage them, reach out to them. They might just be at home watching online, unable to join us. Or maybe they've, they're going through a struggle. Maybe something happened and they felt offended. They felt neglected. If the body's going to minister effectively, we have to effectively look out for those in need around us and minister to them. Don't come to church just looking to get something for yourself. Come looking to be able to give. Look around throughout the week. How can I minister to those in the body who are struggling, those who have needs? Because there's always going to be people that are better connected, right? It's just how relationships work. And then there'll be those people that feel like they get passed over. So they gathered all the multitude together. That's important. And it says, they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Number two in your notes, if you're taking notes there on the paper, God's plan must be followed to overcome problems. A growing church will experience problems. Growth itself brings problems, brings challenges. But if we're going to overcome these well, we must do it according to God's plan. I want you to notice the principles that they followed here in this church to deal with this problem. First of all, notice the priority in the church, the apostles said, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, was it important that the widows be ministered to? Yes. That's The passage here is not saying that we shouldn't help widows. What it's saying, though, as the apostles, the spiritual leadership of the church, they said this is not more important than the ministry of the Word of God. And later he says in prayer. If we're going to be a church that overcomes problems and continues to go forward for the glory of God, we must be a church that keeps the priority in the right place. The ministry of the Word and prayer. Not to minimize those other problems, but rather to keep the priority where God wants it to be. And at the same time, how can we meet these other needs? The priority of the pastoral leadership must be on the spiritual necessities of the church, the ministry of the Word, and prayer. They say it in verse 2, we should not leave the Word of God. Later in verse 4 it says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. One of the things I'm constantly challenged about and I, I have to work on in my own life is that I keep the priority right if I'm going to pastor effectively. And I would ask for your help to help me to keep the priority where it needs to be, the ministry of the Word. The ministry of the Word happens through one-on-one conversations about the Word. The ministry of the Word happens through daily devotionals. The ministry of the Word happens through sending a message about the Word of God. The ministry of the Word happens as I study the Word and teach the Word. I'm thankful as our church has grown, God has greatly increased our ability to minister the Word to people. This past year, He helped us get our online set up. We're able to reach thousands of people this way that we couldn't reach otherwise. God's helped us as we've started some devotionals that people are able to listen to online every day. That's a blessing. Yesterday morning, a group gathered with me as we studied through the prophets together in the Old Testament. I was counting up. If you add up all those devotionals and speaking times and things like that, I'm, I'm speaking on average nine to ten times a week just ministering the Word in a public setting. Then you add on top of that the private conversations and everything else. The ministry of the Word takes a lot of time. And it's not just me doing that. There are other people in our church doing that as well. We have Sunday school teachers. We have people doing discipleship one with another. I believe this is a church that God is using to help minister the Word to people. Amen. But if you're involved in the ministry of the Word, and many of you are, some of you, it's with your own children at home, and as it should be. Some of you, it's with, with a neighbor, a friend, a relative, somebody who's just been attending the church or maybe has never been here in person or hasn't been here in person in a long time, but somebody's going out and ministering the Word to them. It takes a lot of time, doesn't it? As a church, if we're going to continue forward, if we're going to be able to overcome the challenges and problems that inevitably will come, we must keep the priority on the ministry of the Word and prayer. So how did they deal with the problem, though? Well, they kept the priority right. Number two, they found the right people to help to deal with this specific need. Notice with me, if you will, the character of those selected to oversee this problem or the solution to the problem. Verse number three says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So again, it's not that this business was unimportant. It was very important. But it wasn't so much so that the apostles needed to give up the ministry of the Word in prayer to be able to take care of the physical needs of the widows. So they found other people to help them with this challenge. Notice the character of these people. Number one, they were good men. They were men who were respected of honest report. If we're going to minister effectively, if you're going to minister effectively to other people, if you're going to lead in serving here at our church, you need to have a good report. That's your lifestyle choices. That's what you're doing. That's how you uh, make decisions, that you live in a way that's of honest report. Number two, not only should they be good men, they need to be godly men. It says full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. There are people of good report, but they're not really interested or excited about the things of God and and what God is doing in their life. We don't want to be caught up just being a well-run business organization. No, this needs to be a place where it's full of the Holy Ghost. Good men, godly men, and I would say number three, gifted, it says full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, wisdom. It's interesting to note all of the names given in verse 5 of these men that they selected, they all have Greek names. Now, scholars have speculated about the reason to this because there were some of the Hebrews living in Jerusalem at this time who had Greek names, but there are some here that are mentioned specifically as those who came from outside. In fact, Nicholas, who's mentioned last, was not even a Jew at all. He's a Gentile. He's a proselyte to Judaism who later accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that to deal with this problem, they selected people who had a vested interest in dealing with the problem? If we're going to be a church that ministers effectively, as we look out of how we can best serve, we need to look for the right person to serve in the right capacity. You wouldn't want somebody serving in the nursery who didn't care about children, right? I was telling this story in the first service. There's a reason Brother Larry helps us with cleaning around here. Because when uh, people from our church were helping to rebuild his house after Hurricane Harvey, he's in there mopping the floor even while we're working. It's like, Brother Larry, just wait. Stop mopping. You know, we're going to make another mess. No, I like my floors clean. You know, it's a blessing around here. He comes and mops and sweeps and cleans up around here, even when we're still making messes. Why? Because He wants it to be ready and right. Things that aren't even that important to you are very important to somebody else. And therefore, that's a person who's very helpful to be able to minister in that particular area. I think the reason these men were chosen was first because of their character, right? They were good men, godly men. They were gifted men. I think it was also because of their connections. These were some of the Grecian men who were selected out to minister to the Grecian widows. You know what great faith this shows too in the church leadership? That, that the apostles said, all right, here's a problem. It's the Grecians who are murmuring. Let's figure out how to fix a problem. Hey, we need some of the Grecian men to help us to deal with the problem. They didn't come in and say, no, all the Grecians are bad because they complained. No. Because you know what? Given the right set of circumstances, we all complain, right? When it's about me, when it's my problem, it's easy to complain. But to deal with this problem, they got the right people who had the right character to be able to work through it. But again, it's reiterated here that they kept themselves with the right priority, giving themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Turn over with me if you will to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here we have a list of qualifications of a deacon and some have said well Acts chapter 6, this is clearly the first deacons in the church and while they were definitely serving in a manner that seems to follow along with what we know of deacons, so that's probably true it's not they're not specifically referred to in this passage as deacons in acts chapter 6 now the words waiting tables and all that have the same root word as deacons, so it's a good argument for why these are probably deacons but i want you to understand the point here of the message this morning is not about getting the right deacons the point is about what god has put here to be able to serve together as a church to be able to serve one another Service in a church is not just about who's a deacon and who's a not. Who's not a deacon? Service in the church is about every person ministering one to another and serving one another in the body of Christ. But I do want to point out the character or the qualifications of a deacon. In First Timothy three verse eight, it says, "Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double tongued? They're not telling one thing to one person and something to somebody else. Not given to much wine. Not greedy of filthy lucre." holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Sounds like men of good report, right? Men who are full of the Holy Ghost. Men who are full of wisdom. And it says, "'Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things.'" Let the deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. Notice verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. There is a great reward for those who serve God well. God blesses those who serve him and serve his church the church is the body of christ god blesses those who serve his body thank god for those who serve faithfully in the church to fulfill the work so they selected out these men all of the people agreed it says in verse 5 the saying please the multitude Then notice verse 6, it says, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. There's a very important point here that I want to make. The apostles, as these men were selected, they then went and they delegated their authority to them to be able to fulfill the work that they needed to do apostle said, we're going to stay focused on the ministry of the Word in prayer. Deacons now, if they're deacons or whoever these servants are in the church, these folks, we're giving them the authority to take care of the ministry that they've been given to do. I see this as a very important thing in our church as we continue to grow. And I want you to understand this. If you're serving here in some way at our church, and many of you are in so many ways, we want to give you the authority to be able to make the decisions that you need to be able to make so that you can serve effectively. You say, well, that's that just sounds like good delegation. Well, that's because that's what the Bible teaches. How frustrating would it be to be trying to teach a Sunday school class and have to go ask somebody if it'd be okay if you invited somebody to your Sunday school class? I've talked to guys who... They've seen what God's doing here and people being discipled and growing the Lord. They say, I sure wish we could do that at our church. I said, do you really have to ask your pastor's permission if you go soul winning or, or disciple somebody? <laughs> well, no, I guess not. <laughs> Sometimes we live in such fear in church, don't we? I don't want to do something that I'm not supposed to do. If God's called you to serve in such a way, you may say, well, I, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. That's great. We can talk about that. But if God's called you to serve, I want to send you out so you can serve as effectively as you can in the ministry that God has given you. That's what they were doing here. They called them together. They prayed and they laid their hands on them. This was a delegation or a passing of authority. This is saying these men have our blessing to carry out this work that they've been given to do. Now, the Bible's not specific on this. But I would imagine that then these men who were serving this way didn't have to come back and check with the apostles every time there was a new widow. They were just able to make their decisions based on the needs and the opportunity that they had in front of them. And I think for a church to grow effectively, for a church to continue forward, we need more people who can be equipped and sent to be able to fulfill and to do the work that God wants to do in and through our church. Now, this brings up one other very important point. And while it's not explicitly stated in the text, I want to not pass this opportunity by to ask you to think with me. Where did all of these men come from? These seven men that were selected out, where did they come from? Did they transfer their membership from another church? No, because there was no other church. Where did these guys come from? For a church to grow effectively, we must continue to make disciples, to teach and to train. As Paul told Timothy, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Go, My point here is this. It doesn't mean that you can't come here if you've been in another church. That's not the point. But rather that every person that comes in, every person who says, I'm a part of a Arise, we want to say, how can we help you to grow to the place that you can more effectively serve Amen. and minister for the Lord? We don't think that growth happens just by looking around and saying, hmm, who's already saved and serving God that we can just get to come here and plug them in and keep doing what they've already been doing. Now, we're thankful for God doing that. But if we're going to be a church that grows effectively and continues to push forward, even in the face of problems, we need to be a church that continues to look at the people around us and saying. How can I work myself out of a job? Who else can I disciple? Who else can I teach? Who can I bring along with me? Maybe you've been sharing the gospel and going soul winning for years. Who can you take with you to teach them how to do it? Maybe you've been teaching a Sunday school class or playing an instrument or serving in the nursery. Who can you bring alongside and teach them what you're doing? Maybe God's given you just a great heart for noticing what needs to be done, right? You're somebody who always notices this needs to fix that. Who can you bring alongside with you to teach and to train and to encourage? And adults, we have to look out for other adults, but we also need to be looking out for the teens. We need to be looking to the children. We've had some fun challenges having junior ushers, right? But That's a good thing because it gives a chance for some of these young men to be able to serve in that way. Would they maybe drop the offering plate at times? Possibly. Will they sometimes clink them together or, you know, maybe not do it? That's okay because you didn't always do it right either. When someone comes in and substitute teaches in your Sunday school class, can they all do it as well as you can? Maybe not, but that's okay because that's the future. That's the next step. Wherever you're going, if you're serving the Lord, make sure you've got someone else that you're leading in that process, you're bringing along with you. There are too many people that serve God and they're so intent on following Him that they never take time to say, who am I bringing along with me? I think it's interesting that they were able to select out these seven men of good report. Men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. The church hasn't even been around that long at this point. I think it's also important to notice God is not on our timetable. Sometimes you say, well, they're not ready to serve until they've done at least 15 years or 10 years or 20 years. Sometimes we've been serving so long in a place, we think, well, until they've had as much experience as I've had, they're not going to be ready. I'm thankful God... Gave me a chance and gives you a chance and continues to work with people and take them where they're at and bring them to the next place. Making disciples who make disciples is absolutely foundational to what we're trying to do here because we believe it's pleasing to God. And I would encourage you, some of you have been in the faith for a long time, we need more help in this process, we need your wisdom. We need your time, we need your understanding of God's Word to be able to help keep pouring that into the next generation. We're not asking you to take on and teach a big class necessarily, but just to take one other person and say, I'll help you and we'll walk together as we serve the Lord. That's why we go through that process and I know sometimes when you come in you say, well, I've known the Lord for a lot of years. Wonderful. We just want to make sure you're starting off on the same foot we are and so that we can all bring people together to follow the Lord. That's why we do it. It's not to say that you don't know anything or that we have the only right way. We just want to make sure we're all walking God's way and following Him together. Just the more as I thought through this passage of Scripture, I just couldn't get past, where did these seven guys come from? They didn't come from a Bible college. They didn't come from another church. They hadn't transferred there for business and they had already been you know, preaching and serving someplace else. These were people that were reached with the gospel, who were being taught, who were growing in their faith. And now they were to the place that as the church grew and it was too much for the apostles to be able to do it all on their own, there were some other people who were ready to step up and to serve alongside them. A growing church will experience problems. If we're going to overcome those problems, we must do it according to God's plan. It requires a priority on the ministry of the Word and prayer, and it requires the right character, the right kind of people who are being discipled to come along and serve. And finally this morning, I want you to notice in verse 7 that great growth is possible as the Word of God is increased. Look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. It says, "...and the Word of God increased." And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So what happened? As the problem came, they dealt with it. Problems don't have to hinder us. They can be opportunities for us to say, God, how do you want us to work through this for your glory? And through this whole process, what happened? The word of God was multiplied, or it increased The apostles now had more time to focus on the ministry of the Word and prayer. And what also happened? The widows were better ministered to. The whole thing went up a whole nother level. Everything went up. The ministry of the Word got better, and the ministry to the physical needs got better. And what happened when that took place? It says the number of disciples was multiplied. Sometimes people look at a a church, and there there are a lot of ways people, many books have been written and podcasts have been recorded on how to grow a church. And you can grow churches by having a big show and putting yourself in a lot of debt most of the time and uh, just bringing in, you know, the right people to sing or the right people to get up front and everybody comes to see them, I would call that that's, that's, that's an attractional model of ministry. And there's attractional ministry that happens in conservative circles and very progressive circles. But when it's just based on attraction, at some point that wears off. And we want to make the Word of God, you know, something that people can listen to and hear, but we can't, Twist it just to make it attractive for people. So how does the church grow then if it's not all that attractive? Well, through faithful disciple making. Each one reaching one and leading one, following one as we walk in obedience to the Lord's work. Some people look at church and say, well, a church, if it's going to do right and going to preach the gospel and it's going to stand for truth, it just can't grow in this day that we live in because things are too hard. It was a lot harder in a lot of respects in, in the days of Acts than it is today. So what's the difference? It's people who cared enough to continue to make disciples and reach out. If you expect... all the work of the church to be done by one or two people who just know how to put on the right show and say the right thing, it's not going to work very well. Or even if you just happen to find the right person at the right time and make it really exciting, everybody shows up, eventually that person's going to die or they're going to leave and the whole thing falls apart. But if it's a church that's based upon the Word of God, keeping the priority on following the Spirit of God, living in obedience to Him and building it around the truth as people disciple one another and teach one another and grow together, what happens? As the Word was increased, the number of disciples multiplied. May we not be the lid that keeps us from reaching more people. Because we refuse to disciple somebody else. We refuse to encourage somebody else or help them to grow. Because you know what? You can't do it all. I can't do it all. And sometimes we fall, I fall into this trap. You know, Well, I'll just do a little more, a little more, a little more. Well, at some point you can't do a little more. The apostles had come to that point. Now clearly they were some pretty high capacity individuals. God was doing some great work through them. You know, you had this group of 12 or so that are ministering and there's thousands in the church at this point. But even that church came to a point where it wasn't going to grow and they were starting to disagree and starting to argue with one another and murmur and complain. So what they do, they brought in more people that would continue to serve. But they weren't people from outside. They were people who were already connected right from inside who grew together The word of God increased, the number of disciples was multiplied, and it says here, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And we don't know a lot about these priests, but it does seem as if from studying the history of this time period that there were, were, yes, the high priests, there were the people working in the council who who were often more of a show than they were really serious about keeping the law and following God. But there were priests who really were trying to stay faithful to the Old Testament law. They were trying to do the right things, and they they ministered to the people in their communities. These were guys who were probably really good people. They just didn't know Jesus as their Savior. But I think perhaps as they saw a church where the Bible was being preached, where the gospel was going forth, and people's lives were being radically transformed, and they were still ministering to the physical needs of people at the same time, they said, wow, something's different there we have a lot of people especially in this community who are religious people who are very nice people who care about other people and care about physical needs and often christianity if it's done without the work of the spirit and out without the true word of god it becomes in time just kind of a social gospel, right? Where we really care about physical needs, but we're not going to really preach the truth too much because we don't want to offend anybody. But we want to help people where they're at. We want to feed people and we want to help sick people. And that's all wonderful. In fact, we see that right here taking place in Acts chapter 6. But we can't do it effectively without keeping the Word of God as the priority. But as the things were in the right order, as God's work went forward, what happened? More people come to Christ, more disciples are made, And the widows are taken care of. And because of that testimony, there was a great company of priests that said, we need to be a part of that too. And they trusted in Christ. I think there's many people in our community right around this church that we have a great opportunity to be a light to them. They're already doing good things. They may even know some things about God in the Bible. But they've gotten to the place where they don't have time for church. In fact, they're tired of the politics in church. Tired of the way people just treat it. You know what? I'm just gonna go do good to my neighbors and in my community, and I'm not gonna mess with all that church thing anymore. Now I understand why people get to that point in their life. They've been hurt, they've been beat up, they've been frustrated by what's going on around them. But that's not God's plan. God does His work in this world to fulfill the Great Commission, and He does that through the local church. And we have an opportunity to be a part of that. But if we're going to be a church that grows and deals with the growing pains that will inevitably come, and probably some already have come, I want to challenge you this morning you need to be a person who's willing to get right with God. When you have a frustration or a complaint or concern, go to your brother or sister in Christ. Come to me, as some have, and I will try to help you continue to work together with the other people to deal with those hurts, those pains, those frustrations. Murmuring can kill a church. What happens At first some people complain, then they leave, then... a The people that are left say, Well, you know, we were the ones doing it right anyway. But we're not interested in training anybody else because those people, they just complain. The new people, they they tend to have problems and, you know, they're just babies. And so in time, we're still doing the right thing, but we're doing it all by ourselves. We're not reaching anybody because we're doing it right. But we don't care about the loss, we don't care about those who are struggling. In time, that church goes from growth. To stagnation, decline, and death. And it's happened over and over and over again. But in all of that, God's work continues to go on. Does that mean God's not interested in the local church? No. But too many times people get in and start messing it up. And it's not just the people coming from outside. It's the leadership. Right? Because if the apostles had looked at this and said, Stop complaining. No, they said, this is a real need. Let's get together and let's figure this out. We don't want anybody to be neglected. We want everybody to be cared for. But we're going to keep the priority on the Word, the ministry of the Word and prayer. And we're going to bring in some other people who are growing in the Lord that we've been teaching and training. And oh, by the way, these guys weren't just interested in social issues. Keep reading in Acts, right? Stephen's about to stand up and preach one of the greatest messages that's recorded in the Bible anywhere. He wasn't listed as a pastor. In fact, we know him as the first martyr. Why? Because he stood up and declared the truth. These were people who were full of the Holy Ghost. They weren't afraid to stand and speak the truth, but they were there to help so that the whole body was ministered to. I know there's a lot here, and this is definitely more of a, one of those teaching times. I'm not up here telling you all this because our church is full of complaining and murmuring. It's not but rather as just a warning and a time to teach and encourage and help us to think biblically about the truth so that we can be a church that can go through the growing pains and continue to grow for the glory of God and His work. Let's pray. Lord, we love You and we thank You for the truth. Or may we not be a church that's built around politics, Or favorites. Who does favors for who? Who likes who? But rather be a church that's based on the Word of God and that lives in the power of the Spirit of God. We need you, Father. Even as we've grown over this past year, we've had to make adjustments. We've had to add classes. We've had to do some remodeling. We've We've had to move some people around. Some people are coming to the early service and some people are coming to this second service. And there's just a lot of different things going on. And these can all be challenges and open up the potential for problems and disunity and murmuring. Lord, help us to be focused on the Great Commission. When we have problems that do arise, may we deal with them biblically. Lord, help us as we continue to invest in the next disciples who will continue to come on and follow you. Lord, raise them up and help us to trust you enough to trust them to go on and to carry on the work so that we can more effectively minister here in our community. There's people all around us, Lord, that some have never even heard the gospel or as earl that I talked to this past week he he's in his 60s been to church his whole life and 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 he just thinks you have to work and do enough good things to get to God Lord they need to hear the truth but if we're so busy fighting about our problems and and frustrated because we're not being ministered to then the ministry of the word goes into decline and then it ceases and Lord we're so caught up with our own problems we can't effectively minister for you Lord help us to be able to do both by raising up more people to serve together for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.